0: Thanks so much for joining us at Thread today. I'm Jeremy, your co-host, here with my co-host, Hash. And we're going to have some conversations uh, about politics, and we're going to get into the weeds a little bit. We're going to have go into some complex topics about life that impacts us, and we're here today with Val Litwin. Thanks so much for joining us, Val.
1: Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, in front of two monsteros. <laughs> <laughs> between
0: two between, monsteras. Between,
1: in front of, wedged between, uh-huh. I think you're right.
0: <laughs> um, so Val you're running for the BC Liberal Party mm-hmm. um, That's incredible uh, that also sounds You know politics is exhausting uh, From afar. Let me I'll, I'll start there um, Being young seeing politics it impacts us and it's one of those things that I, I, you know my grade seven teacher really got us into current events oh, and good. I was obsessed and uh, as the time goes by, you get a little exhausted, I think, sort of seeing how things happen and how they go. So what inspired you to get into politics?
1: Yeah. And there's layers in, in what you just asked, too, because it was funny. I was looking at an old Broadbent Institute research piece from 2015 today, and it was saying, you know, why young people don't vote. and It's because there's, they have trust issues with politicians and political parties, right? But we have a narrative out there that is uh, young people just aren't interested. But the reality is they're interested. Mm-hmm. They're just not interested in parties or what they're seeing, right? Um, so that might be part of what you're alluding to with the exhaustion a little bit. But this race itself is a, is a very long leadership race. It's unusual. Um, I think when all said and done, some candidates, including myself, will have been running for eight, nine months. Wow! Uh, so it's easily a year-long commitment. So it's, it's a big deal. Uh, but I will say for a guy like me, who's coming from outside the political matrix a little bit. I could not have done it without a really long race. Mm. And I have had the energy because um, I'm really purpose-driven to be in this race. So getting to the core of the question, what would inspired me to get into this? Well, I have been in politics for the last 10 years, but I just haven't been a partisan. Mm. I haven't been with a team. I've been doing that not-for-profit public policy work with uh, the Whistler Chamber of Commerce and the BC Chamber of Commerce. And for those of you that have never heard of a Chamber of Commerce or a Board of Trade, it's literally a not-for-profit association that represents in this province mostly small businesses and you go out there and you talk to people you walk the main streets and you find out what's keeping people awake at night i love that work mm-hmm. and so for me this is uh an extension of that work i've been doing for the last 10 years which is really being in a place where business people and community meet and trying to find better solutions to do things
0: so awesome why why the BC why the BC liberals and and yeah. i'm going to preface this a little bit because some people might not know even left first right and the bc liberals is not the same as the canadian federal liberal party um different same same similar name different sort of platforms and so um when you hear liberal forget almost everything you know and like well let's start a little bit fresh from a clean slate so um why the bc liberal party
1: yeah why the bc Liberal? it's a great question you know historically this party has been a real center track party i think um the brand perception out there is that it's not anymore and i think when you look at specific policies, you could go, yeah, this is not the centrist party it used to be. So first of all, I see the opportunity in B.C. for a true center track party. And we'll get to why the B.C. liberal, why, why that's the vehicle for to go centrist. But when I talk to people, not just young people around B.C., they're just kind of at a point where they're so frustrated that their vote either has to go to a Green Party environment vote, mm-hmm. a people community vote, which is maybe the NDP, as the brand narrative goes, Or a business vote, a pro economy vote. The people I talk to, they want all three. They don't want to be forced to choose anymore. And I think what has changed in the last 10 years is people understand their issues and they see their issues as on a continuum now. They don't see themselves siloed anymore. And in this campaign, I've been very careful not to say left, right, liberal, conservative. I've been talking a lot about fiscal responsibility and social environmental awareness because that's where I see myself in terms of my political philosophy why the bc liberal party it does have a history of fiscal responsibility and for me that's really important because i have been a social enterpriser i've been a full-blown for-profit uh, entrepreneur i've worked in health care um, in senior care specifically end of life critical care for seniors in the home and then the last 10 years in not-for-profit public policy work in that time in my career i have i have come to understand that the economies and communities that understand the foundation of what keeps it all intact, which is a thriving, inclusive, robust economy, without that social fabric unravels. So can you put the chicken before the egg? We could argue all day about that. Like, do we need a healthy community before we need a healthy economy? They do work and come together, but if we don't nail that foundational piece of a healthy economy, we can't invest in people and community. And so for me, that's why the BC Liberal Party is the one, because they have that long track record of probably doing the best fiscal work in BC, yeah.
2: And so now that the BC Liberals is basically revamping what it means to be a liberal in BC, um, how, does you, how do you see this affecting what your projection of the Liberal Party is as everything kind of comes together?
1: Well, you know, it's funny, Hush, you're getting to what I think is the most interesting question in this race, which everyone is obsessed with, you know, will you change the name? <laughs> Are you gonna change the name of the party? And, and I say, yeah, Open to changing the name. I have no problem with changing the name. But if you want to have a brand conversation, let's talk about what's inside the can before we talk of the out, about the out artwork on the outside. You know, before we talk about logos and color palettes and names, there is, um, you know, a generation of people I think that uh, believe simply by changing the name and the logo that's enough. You've reinvigorated and you're different. But I would say younger generation folks who would be the most brand savvy. Generations in the history of humanity, you guys can smell a bad rebrand a mile away. And also people who have spent time, you know, working in community and thinking deeply about brand, you understand it happens from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Um, You start talking about your core values and priorities before you talk about, you know, the artwork, right? So uh, for me, getting into this race it, it, it has been to catalyze a question around what true renewal means that goes beyond a name change. So where I think the party's at, and I'm, again, grateful for the length of this race, I think we are now having deeper conversations than we've ever had inside the BC Liberal Party, certainly in the last 10 years. And we are opening the doors on a true renewal conversation, which goes deeper now than just the name. And I think, I think that's, that's certainly what I'm pushing for. And I actually think now that's what the party's ready for. Mm. Great question.
0: Um, cool. So what, what we've done uh, getting ready for today is we've asked a lot of different people um, that are in the Gen Z community, not just Vancouver, which where we are right now, but in the interior and other places on the island as well to get sort of a diverse opinion of questions. Great. And so we phrase it as if you could sit down with uh, a possible future premier of B.C., um, over some beers, what would you say on beer six? Um, like, what are, what do you actually want to know? What do you actually care about? What what's important to you? And I so, think beer six is "I love you." I don't I don't think you say <laughs> maybe beer anything five, other than maybe beer five. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Um, and so we we have a couple core topics um, that th- throughout the entire all the responses we got that existed, and they keep coming. And one of those really big ones is affordability. Great. Um, that's you know. There's a lot of interesting statistics um when it comes to affordability. And it's not necessarily just housing or or trying to buy a house. Some people are like even just worried about rent. And um in I believe what I what I last read is is the average price of a one bedroom in Vancouver is you know one point nine thousand dollars a month. Um and in the interior in Kelowna, it's about fifteen hundred. Um so a lot of people going through school or just starting on their careers are opting to have a lot of roommates just for right. the sake of being able to um, afford. And then even going further into the uh, idea of like purchasing a house, you know, the, the housing prices in BC in the last, you know, uh, decade has gone up about 100%. Uh, the median price was it in Kelowna and in Vancouver is about a million dollars. It's like, it's, yeah. it, it's crazy to think about trying to like even save for a down payment. Um, so we're curious of like, What even causes this This isn't come out of nowhere, you know, like what are the things that really impact affordability before? What are we going to do? Like, let's can you explain to us a little bit of like what the things are that impact the massive increase in housing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I can comment a little bit on that, although I'm, I'm not, you know, a professional economist. But you know, we I think we understand what some of the drivers are around this. But what what I hope will be the more interesting part of the conversation is what are we going to do to fix it, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. change it, or address it? Fix is maybe um, a pretty high flutant term. We have yeah. to do a lot of things. I don't think there's a silver bullet on this, but I'll tell you, it probably started back in 1986, and then it happened again in 2010 when we said to the world, "Come check us out." We think we're world-class. We think we're one of the greatest jurisdictions on planet Earth. We're we're stable. We're clean. Uh, We have great post-secondary institutions. Uh, We're on the the Pacific Rim. We're Canada's trade gateway to the world. There's so much happening here. We've got this physical beauty to kind of wrap it all up. And they came in Expo 86. They came again in 2010. And they believed us. And all of a sudden, we became a global address. And money started flooding in. And people started flooding in. And the reality is that... um, If you want progress and you want opportunity for growth and you want prosperity, those are good things. When people and money come in, foreign direct investment is correlated with wage growth and increases in standard of living. But I think we lost track of what was coming in and how to manage it, especially on on the money side. And so we saw a marketplace become more expensive because it became a global address. We weren't just backwater Vancouver. Now that Vancouver is backwater, but you know what I'm saying? Like we grew up in the last 30 years, a lot. Yeah. And uh, so here we are. What I think <clears throat> is the interesting part of the conversation now because affordability touches more than just mm-hmm. dignified housing. It touches the price of food, it touches all these things. So really what I've been talking a lot about in this campaign is we need to have a plan to grow wages for young people mm. in British Columbia because we need to make sure that they are keeping up with and even getting ahead of inflation. And we can do that in BC because of some of the fundamentals I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago. So I think the BC Liberal Party could become the party obsessed with wage growth. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I think we just have to map out a really exciting productivity and innovation agenda because we know when companies are becoming more productive, through innovation, uh, they're becoming more profitable, more efficient, and they can afford to lift wages. Now, this, uh, to make BC more affordable, we don't wanna put it on the backs of the private sector. So government has a role to play. And an example of that would be, let's take PST off machinery and equipment, all the stuff you bought to make this show happen. Um, you're creating value in the marketplace. How do we make it easier, easier for you to bootstrap this uh, podcast startup, right? So there are things government can do to make business more efficient, to help them grow quickly, and to increase wages. So um, I've given you a lot in that answer, but I do think there's a really fun opportunity to be talking about that innovation agenda here in BC. Again, because of where we sit, post-secondary institutions, we got smart young people in this place. So let's
0: light it up.
2: Beautifully said, yeah. Do you have anything to add
0: on? Oh, there's, there's so many things. Um, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of of you know, the, the sorts of questions that, that I would get asked. I, I tend to be the person my friends call up when it's election season. Who should I vote for? And I'm always like, what do you care about? Let's go there. Yeah, great and then answer. I'll lobby you later. Um, but so so you mentioned some things about like PST, um, you know, limiting that. Like, can you break down a little bit of what, how that trickles through? You know, because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of conversation that happens, you know, and, and one of the things that happens a lot is a lot of blurring of um, responsibility of of politics because, you know, when we're having a conversation we're talking about BC, but people are also thinking about everything they hear about in the States, everything they hear about every other part of the world. And so trying to like weed through those sort of preconceived notions a little bit, you're hearing a lot of conversations of like tax the rich and things like that. Um, and so you're saying let's lower taxes um, and uh, you want to just can, can you break down for us sort of how that impacts affordability at the end of the day for you know, me trying to live and, and go to school and eat food.
1: Yeah, so the example of of the tax um, idea I had there, removing PST off machinery and equipment, is all about it's immediately connected to a startup's ability to scale, to hire more people and to pay more. So that that's where um, a calibrated tax regime has the opportunity to create more opportunity for entrepreneurs so they can grow their teams and they can pay more. So that that was the the connective tissue there um generally speaking jurisdictions places jurisdictions is a big mouthy word when you live in a place that is too hard for a business to grow and be successful typically what happens is the smart people and smart businesses leave town and we don't want that that's happened before in bc years ago we lost a lot of really productive head offices here that paid a lot of money we have an opportunity right now with the emerging tech sector and i put loose quotation marks around it because I feel like any company in the modern era is in some degree, some way, shape, or form a tech company. But okay, let's say there's a tech sector. Um, We talk a big game about creating opportunity for that sector here in BC because they pay twice the average wage right now in Mm. BC, which is Mm. $50,500 average take-home salary in BC. Tech sector pays almost double, maybe a little bit more. So fair enough. How do we attract more tech companies here? Because in Alberta, you pay 4% 4 less Corporate tax and commercial real estate in downtown Calgary is like a third of what it is in Vancouver. So if I'm a startup entrepreneur because BC doesn't have a startup problem, we have a scale up problem. Yeah. So great, someone starts here, but then they quickly realize I can't stay and I can't grow and I can't pay my, I can't afford to pay my team. So you go somewhere else. So where tax hits affordability, lowering tax, and you don't just kill tax everywhere, you calibrate it and you watch it. You know, if you're smart entrepreneurs, they try something in an isolated environment, they test it, does it work? Okay, let's do more of that. So I'm talking about, in the case of tech, what are they asking for? What do they need? And let's find ways to keep them here. And if you're just listening casually, you might go, well, that just sounds like you just want to support business and not the people. No, no, no. I'm saying we do that to support the people because they will stay and we know they pay more. So how, we should be in conversation with the business community to say, how do we amplify your opportunity? Is that is that a helpful answer? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah.
2: I guess my one question would be, that the tech sector is like is one big portion of the overall economy Um, but I think in the video you mentioned like the fisheries as well as well as other avenues to I don't know just overall accumulate wealth for BC citizens so is there any like do you have any other specifics that you'd like to mention for like other tax sectors or
1: yeah well I I mean we could talk about tax stuff all day but you did touch on a couple of other sectors that have been what we would call you know primary drivers of the bc economy for decades and decades and especially in terms of our exports because the way we create prosperity and grow in healthy ways we don't just continue to do business with ourselves in our pond we trade with the world and we've always been in a position where we've had that opportunity we've been blessed i mean indigenous uh, people have known that this land has been blessed with riches for millennia. Uh, newcomers here, we, we understood for the last couple hundred years that yes, this place is blessed. Um, so I think, you know, a big part of what I hope will be BC's story into the future is how, how did we continue to be good stewards of, the, of those natural resources and the wealth? And how did we create opportunity for people to be a part of that, that cycle? And in BC, we have a low carbon advantage to do that. Because the majority of our electricity and power comes from hydroelectricity, which is clean and sustainable. And so we have primary sectors, resource sectors that have been creating wealth for years. And I worry that there is a conversation around um, that's the past and that can't possibly be the future. Well, it will be the future. And we have to protect those industries with supports. And um, in in uh, the example of certain trade-related industries, you'd call it... Um, energy intensive trade exposed and there's certain things we can do to support those sectors but let me make it a little more less policy wonkish and more (laughs) concrete the european union has told the world we will not import high carbon products anymore they have high carbon tariff barriers because of bc's hydroelectric power that powers everything we produce everything wood products metals um You know, gosh, things we extract from the sea, fish, salmon. We do everything lower carbon than anywhere else, practically on planet Earth. So we should be a provider of choice into the future for the world. Because if you buy a BC product, you're buying a lower carbon equivalent product than anywhere else on planet Earth. So in Kitimat, we produce the world's lowest carbon footprint, aluminum.
0: Hmm.
1: Not many people know that. It's in every single iPhone, right, (laughs) on planet Earth, your iPad. We need aluminum. We can't hate on aluminum. Mm-hmm. We use it everywhere. It's probably in this equipment. So how do we how do we continue to support those sectors to keep them globally competitive with with smart taxes?
0: That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm curious because this, this sort of leads into the sort of great next topic of sustainability. Um and that's a really big topic um mm-hmm. today. Uh, you know, given the last year even um from the forest fires that were tragic. And I mean I I moved to Kelowna in 2003 my 2002 my first summer in the okanagan was was in the mountain park fire and and we mm-hmm. left and I was, at that point it wasn't felt like an anomaly um, the last couple of years it feels like less and less of an anomaly uh and you know like I, I think a lot about you know the city of merit mm-hmm. in particular like this past year they've had full city evacuations three months apart for entirely unrelated um, natural disasters From the atmospheric rivers and the flooding um, all the way to the forest fires this this past summer Uh, so there's this it feels like when people talk about uh, whether it's climate change which feels like a very loaded word and has a lot of preconceived notions about it um, or sustainability or any of these sorts of things um, that it's one or the other and and it feels like there's often um, let's stop all industry and or let's let's just do this Um, and, and it's, it's interesting because if you look back through the history of BC, we were built on natural resources. We have an abundance of natural resources. And when we talk about affordability and we say, you know, on the one side, if, if people say, let's just everything, you know, let's solve climate change, remove all of this. Now we're removing a bunch of affordability. You know, there's thousands and thousands of jobs. But then people on the other side always say, we have to protect the jobs at, at the expense of the climate. And we're getting to this weird part where we're now witnessing the aftermath of policy for so long mm-hmm. um i don't even know wh- what the question is there uh, no i, no, I, gotta, I got it feels just uh, there's a lot I've got, yeah i've got
1: a i mean i got a flavor of what you're saying and and um this for me is an exciting space to step into in the political sphere because i feel for too long we've been polarized into camps around this like just look at fairy creek right If you're a casual observer walking by that conversation, forestry is bad in BC, but it's not. (laughs) Trees are carbon locked in physical form and you can grow as many of them as you want. It's the greenest, most sustainable building product besides maybe bamboo we have on planet earth. So let's keep doing forestry, but let's do it in a sustainable way. Should we though also be protecting certain stands of ancient trees? Yeah, it's time. Now, I'm not a uh, silviculturist. I, I haven't flown over BC and mapped all those stands of trees, but someone has. So there's there's scientists and there's experts looking at that. But this, you know, when I especially when I talk to young people, I try to talk to a young group at least every week. Uh, co-op students, university people, um, people I'm meeting through through my team and my network, and um, taking the time to get into some of these issues and not land on either side of it, but land somewhere in the pragmatic middle where we can actually all stay in dialogue and have a pr- productive conversation around how to move forward. So thinking about climate change here a little bit, listen, human accelerated climate change is real. We're, we have been confronting this reality for years, for decades. Uh, there's some people on the periphery that want to say, well, the climate's always changing, but humans, I don't know how much that, well, we are, the science is there. So we don't have to debate it anymore. The question is, how are we going to change our relationship with the natural world? And how are we going to approach some of these these industries and sectors to make sure that we're doing it responsibly and sustainably? Mining is another great example, right? We're blessed with copper, huge copper deposits here in BC. An electric car uses four times more copper than a traditional internal combustion engine. So BC mining products should be powering the electrification of transportation globally. So in my mind, we map a way forward not by getting trapped in those either or conversations, Mm -hmm. but taking science and evidence and being moderate and pragmatic about how we continue to do better mm-hmm. as we um, you know provide what I think are low-carbon products to the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess another facet of the conversation could be how climate change disproportionately affects uh, those impoverished yeah. and how our social security net isn't made to deal with the climate related uh, migrants or refugees, whatever you end up wanting to really call them. Um, uh, in Canada specifically, but also those come from outside Canada as the rest of the world kind of buckles under the pressure of climate change.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the residents of Merritt. Um, yeah. You know, we've been listening on the CBC to folks that have been displaced. Uh, sorry, uh, Litton. excuse me. Uh, there's also been stories from Merritt from the floods, but it's still from the fires, which are way way before the floods two
0: three new cycles ago
1: yeah many cycles ago um they're still going like you know i don't really know what the plan mm-hmm. is here <laughs> government where's the blueprint how are we rebuilding here um is it safe to go back can i go back can i get my permits yet local council has changed uh, the parameters and around how i get to build how much will that cost me who's going to help subsidize that cost did i even have adequate insurance to cover the damage so um we are seeing it in BC, right? And and I give um, I pause to recognize uh, the communities and countries that are at extreme risk outside of Canada, because we're talking about communities within BC that are at risk, but there are entire countries, right, uh, in, on planet Earth that are at risk because of climate change. So I I just think this is the opportunity for us to pause and blow the dust off our old SOPs, standard operating procedures, and old ways of doing things, and say, okay. We've got a new set of conditions here now. We're seeing new things we've never seen before. What's the new solution for how we address this? Um, because to your point, you know, we're just gonna be seeing more of this and, and the same response isn't gonna get us over the line. It won't take us into the future.
0: One of the things um, that, that I found the most shocking about uh, the floods that took place was the fragility of our supply chains. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was in Kelowna when uh, the highways closed. I was supposed to be in Vancouver. Grateful I wasn't that I didn't, you know, I I had friends on every one of the highways, stuck on either side. I know friends that got airlifted from between mudslides. Um, There's not somebody I don't know, I feel like that wasn't impacted in some way. And, you know, in the beginning of COVID, we all didn't have toilet paper. And that was kind of humorous, a little bit, a little (laughs) frustrating, a little uncertain at the time. But it was definitely a moment of, like, concern. Um, That felt amplified when those floods hit. And um, every grocery store I went into was empty. And it was absolutely bizarre. Um, And so I was like, how can that be the the case? I feel like there's a lot of things we can do. And I understand there's panic and and all of that. But, like, bringing it back to the fact that, you know, Highway 3 is open right now. Um, Highway 5, was it been? three weeks, four weeks, something like that, since um, is about to open, kind of. Mm -hmm. You you know, seeing some of the photos, they've done absolutely remarkable work. I think there's, you know, 300 people working around the clock um, to get that back open. But even Highway 3, 3, 3,000 trucks a day and, like, a lot of crazy things happening. There's one highway right now that connects. I mean, that's just even for supply chains. You know, like, getting to Vancouver, I had to go through the States. Like there was a lot of things um, that are sort of happening, but what are some of the things that we can do? Because if if we know we have to adjust, you know what we're doing, it might not have the immediate impacts. You know, if we're if we're making the adjustments um, on industry and on climate change, it's going to take some time for those to roll out. In the meantime, how are we going to make ensure that, you know, next summer the co- I mean, the coca was also close for fires, you know, like all these no, sorts right. of things yeah. like. Yeah. Um, what can we do to sort of like ensure that there's a level of security in, in supply chains? Yeah, we're we're feeling vulnerable, <laughs> and we're looking vulnerable.
1: Um, I don't think people really knew. I mean, heck, I didn't know about the Barrowtown Pump Station before the floods. I didn't floods know Abbotsford in, was, a, was in a lake. Prairie. Yeah, I either, Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I I had understood it might have been a floodplain at some point, but all of a sudden, you hear the Barrowtown Pump Station is one of the most critical pieces of pumping infrastructure in North America like top 2 or top 3 you think okay should we not have two of them mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so i think part of it is we have to embrace that there is going to be high cost now for creating more resilient supply chains but just infrastructure full stop to keep us safe and to keep people and goods moving um i was on vancouver island a couple of weeks ago and i was uh, someone said you know Val, what, what is one of your top issues for Vancouver Island? And I think they expected me to talk about you know, business or the opioid crisis or homelessness. And I said, you know what? You guys not import 90% of your food. Wow. And yet here we are in the Cowichan Valley, one of the one of the most you know, productive breadbasket areas uh, in BC. It's maybe not the hugest, but it's just wonderful for growing food. And they got a great food culture there. 90% of your food comes on wow. the BC ferries. That's not sustainable. That's not safe. It's not a resilient supply chain. So we need to be having a conversation on Vancouver Island around how do we become more food independent, more food secure. So I think it's, it's conversations around how are we going to do things differently when it comes to things like our food, poultry, milk, eggs. Uh, in the case of Sumas Prairie, but on Vancouver Island, it might be, you know, green vegetables, fruits. I mean, there's so many things that are native to Vancouver Island that we could be doing better at that grow year round and et cetera, et cetera. So it's the courage to have different conversations to understand we're going to be forking a lot of money to create more resilient infra- you know, infrastructure and supply chains, but also tuning into how resi- um, uh, vulnerable we are with those supply chains. So I think shortening them up, right, mm. um, is a big part of food security is just one example. Yeah.
2: Is there any specific plans underway for um, government subsidies or some kind of government stabilization for these kind of industries that might be affected in the future?
1: Yeah, I I think more so now. But, uh, you know, I don't mind saying I think, some of the works on your first to know the green party has been doing around food security for years you know i've i too have been interested in food security for years and uh, she and i months ago were were texting uh, back and forth on someone that's doing a tour across canada around you know food security and and healthy living and eating and uh, i just think again this is back to my my vision for bc around where we have a party that isn't ideologically rejecting certain ideas because it doesn't fit the political mold that we sit in as bc liberals no we can talk about food security because that's a social issue and it's an economic issue and it's a human safety issue. <laughs> so um, yeah, conversations are underway. Um, but I, what I think now is the most exciting part is let's have all political parties be talking about how we make ourselves more safe and resilient when it comes to food, as an example.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I actually appreciate that answer um, a lot because it's not, you know, I, I feel like it's one of those unsexy topics in a sense. You know, there's a lot of topics that are, you know, fundamentally important um, and are just like really matter. But I feel like there's this weird notion that people don't want to hear about it. And there might be data that supports it, um, you know, topics that aren't as fun. But uh, I-, I think there's a growing awareness recently of, of just these things really matter. Like no one cared about infrastructure really before unless you're like trying to drive somewhere and uh, you get frustrated then. And you're like, why haven't they solved this? But I-, I think now in particular, there's a there's a big growing of like can we actually talk about this? Like, can we can we like yeah. have conversations yeah. about these things? Um, I don't know how that actually turns out into civic engagement.
1: Um, well, you know, part of it is there. There's no silver lining about the floods and the fires, but there is an opportunity to develop a deeper appreciation around how important it is that we stay connected. Hmm. And there's you know, we've all we're all awake now to the the literal reality of we're not connected because we don't have bridges. And highways connecting us but we saw during the pandemic too social isolation social disconnection like there's that metaphorical when we're not connected we're in trouble and i think we understood the pandemic the mental health stuff around the softer side of no connection which of course has very physical real impact for people communities community health individual health but now i'm looking at the province going man we i can't connect to the interior. And what does that mean for me and my family and and how I want to spend Christmas or if I want to visit cousins and things. So um, there's there's layers to what we're waking up to in terms of um, staying connected and what that means for physical health and mental health. And my, I guess my hope is, so there's no silver linings coming out of these disasters, but my hope coming out of it is we have a renewed appreciation for the value of staying connected in this province. And that's physically connected, but that's that notion of like ideological connection too. Let's not pretend just because you vote green and I vote NDP, we don't see eye to eye. I don't vote NDP by the way. <laughs> but let's, let's not pretend that that puts us in certain camps that we're actually connected on a ton of issues, right?
2: the fact that we're all BC residents, no matter what we really vote for, yeah. and whoever gets voted in is ultimately what is going to govern us, regardless of who we voted for. That's right. So these voices can't just be mitigated or just ignored, even if it they're like the kids like to say they're just haters type of thing. Yeah, the kids. We're the the kids. kids. The kids. Well, I'm the kid. Yeah, I'm, I'm like literally the kid in this room. <laughs> <to speak. laughs> that used to be me.
0: Oh, oh getting old. Um, yeah, I, and I think you know taking that whole project, like, what are the other things that you can sort of foresee or, that are things that we take for granted that we shouldn't? You know, like the, this conversation, I feel like of, of um, let's call it economic transformation mm-hmm. uh, and try not to use the words climate change, but because um, I feel like it's just so loaded for a lot of people. Um, it, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. uh, it is for me. I just thought it is for me. And, you know, this is a conversation that's been happening a long time. I feel like my entire life I've heard the conversation of, you know, we need something sustainable because um, and, and, and which actually I remember this is definitely a tangent. I'm just going to go. With no, it. This is good. It's great. You know, I, I remember in, in grade six or seven, somewhere in middle school, uh, I, I had a teacher, the same teacher that got me into current events. Um, it was in that class we we're talking about. I think we we're talking about oil and how that whole world works and how the entire world felt like it ran off that um is when i realized you know this this is a finite resource that we sort of have and um it was super bizarre to me at that point i'm like if we know at some point we'll run out why are we building our entire like future and world on this Mm -hmm. um and then you know i i feel like a, a decade and a half has passed and i'm like oh it's still here like maybe it doesn't matter but um you know what are some of the things that a province like bc that has an incredible history of natural mm-hmm. resources um or or even you know places other places like alberta um not to get into alberta entirely but you know they have these sort of resources um that might not necessarily be sustainable and we're running our entire world off of it like what are some of the things we can do to transition or, or why is it what, what are some of the constraints i guess like for a province like BC um, to make that transition. Right. <clears throat> right. Well, I mean, the
1: good news is in every province in Canada territory, we're talking about the energy transition. So it's it's a it's a it's a piece we all agree on. We need to, we need an energy transition. So that's that's good that we have that common understanding. There's lots of ways to get there. You know, one of the things that occurs to me and actually it's fun hearing that you remember a teacher in grade six who was so engaging around like how the world moves that it actually stuck with you. That's very cool. And I I hope every kid gets to have teachers like that. I had some teachers like that, too. And in fact, it's one of the biggest things we're missing probably is more Mm. education around civic engagement and civil society and what it takes to keep a civil society functioning, like Mm. engaging in political parties, voting, being a part of Mm. that process. Um, so it's cool. You had a teacher like that, but one of the things I think about as an exciting economic opportunity that's that's good on every level for BC is seaweed aquaculture. Um, there's a company mm-hmm. on Vancouver Island called Cascadia Seaweed, and they are doing really uh, exciting partnerships in terms of growing, you know, seaweed in um, uh, with Indigenous communities on the coast on the west coast. And when you get into why that is such an interesting industry, well, first of all, seaweed is a food and mm-hmm. a lot of people on planet Earth eat it. It's also really good for livestock. Actually, they've done research when you introduce 1% into livestock diet, it lowers methane output by oh, like wow. 90%. So what, that's bizarrely, incredible. one of the best things we can do for climate change is get more cows on seaweed. Wow. Um, but the thing that is so cool is when you grow seaweed, it is restorative to the oceans, You were taking nothing from the oceans, you were giving to the oceans. Uh, Everything from it's a carbon sink to bait fish like to reproduce in Mm -hmm. in those kelp forests, right? And then it's a healthy food stuff as well. So it's saying yes to more of those things Mm -hmm. as we begin to transition away. But I also wanna be really clear, in BC we have this unique low carbon opportunity to keep doing what we've been doing. Let's keep doing it better. Let's get more innovative and invest in the technologies that allow us to be not just more competitive, but lower carbon footprint. Right. And government has a role to play there, but let's keep saying to these exciting new opportunities, and let's make sure mm-hmm. a business like that can grow
0: and stay here. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's that's really fascinating because one of the things that's interesting about to, to me about COVID, um, and I, I think I actually want to skip the majority of the COVID conversation because, quite frankly, I'm I'm a little. Tired oh, of the COVID conversation. It's only
1: been two years. You're only, you're, we're only part way through this. Yeah. No. <laughs> <It hasn't been laughs> I, I
0: understand. Um, but I want to I keep this more lighthearted and I want to keep this not even lighthearted, but more optimistic, you know, forward facing. I sure. think the last time we had a conversation, I said something, I'm too, I'm too young to not be optimistic. Um, and you said that, you know, there's no silver linings uh, from the floods and from the fires. Um, there perhaps might be some more from COVID. But at the very least, it's, I feel like catalyzed a lot of, it, it forced us into a corner I think none of us ever wanted to be in. Um, and it forced us into a timeout, and it gave us an opportunity to sort of review. So from your perspective, you know, what are some of the things that we could do um, at, at, as a province, as individuals, uh, to move forward and to create more prosperity for BC? you know, to create more affordability? Like, what are some of the things you see that COVID's like done that are positive for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is we've all realized we actually don't have to drive to work. (laughs) We can work from anywhere, which is actually a really big part of how we might solve affordability, which is you don't need to be in a large urban center anymore. You can go to a rural part of British Columbia, you can move to the interior, you can move to the north. And for those that dream of living on the waterfront and having, you know, fishing with their kids, uh, not when they're retired, but starting now, we'll go ahead and move to Prince Rupert sell your condo in Kelowna or Vancouver and go move to Prince Rupert tomorrow. You can do it. You can have that house. You can buy that boat because you have some money left over. So um, I think it taught us that we aren't anchored or tethered to the places we always thought we had to be to have a fulfilling, uh, prosperous life. Uh, And then for me, this opens a whole new conversation around what could distributed growth and prosperity look like in B.C. Because we don't just have to focus our investments on urban centers. BC hasn't, but there is a narrative and a a tendency or a trend or a conversation around, look, you've got certain parts of BC that are driving Mm -hmm. a lot of prosperity. Do they get the same benefit back? Mm. So um, let's be looking again at what healthy, safe, inclusive, productive, prosperous communities look like. Let's create a definition around that and let's invest accordingly. Mm -hmm. So we're scratching our head, you know, why... Why are workers flying in and out of Alberta into Fort St. John or Fort Nelson to work on, you know, whatever XYZ project when we have a community here? Why can't we get local people? Well, people might not be moving to that community mm. because they can't get adequate health care or there's not a nice rec center to take your kids on a weekend or there's, I don't know, not enough main you know, Main Street businesses to make it interesting to go Christmas shopping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just a couple of examples. Right. Yeah. So we have to be prepared and have the courage to look at what. Communities, how we want to define community moving forward in this province, mm-hmm. and let's invest and support them accordingly. And I think we can do that now because COVID has changed how we look at different parts of the province. Mm-hmm. It's not just all about the Lower Mainland or all about the interior, the Okanagan. It can be about anywhere you want to live and make a life in this province now. Mm-hmm.
2: But I think it comes down to government infrastructure, ultimately. Whether or not these like, uh, out-of-the-metropoles can support um, so many people leaving to them. Uh, is there any plans or anything else in motion to facilitate this kind of movement out towards the rest of BC? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. You know, do people in Vanderhoof want to all of a sudden see
1: average home prices going from 350 grand to, you know, doubling? No, no one wants to see that. So I think a sort of a managed migration is helpful and there's probably things government can do for that. But you're absolutely right about physical infrastructure. I mean, if you drive from Fort Nelson to Fort St. John right now in Northeast British Columbia, you can't phone 911 if you get into a car accident.
2: That's wild. I did not know that. That's a problem. (laughs) That feels like a problem. Let's stay
1: on Fort Nelson for a second. So if you're a young couple and you're about to have a baby, you you can't uh, have your baby in Fort Nelson. Uh, You have to do the four-hour drive to Fort St. John to get to a hospital that can adequately deliver your child. I'm sure many babies have been born in Fort Nelson, but standard operating procedures you don't have them there typically um but as you know if your water breaks you don't, you often don't have four hours for the drive so what happens is young families in fort nelson go months ahead of time to fort st john and on their own dime rent a hotel room or stay with folks just so they can be uh, close to adequate health care and supports to have a new kit so uh yeah and we wonder why fort nelson you know is having issues around uh infrastructure and getting people to stay well there's some simple stuff right so uh, I'm not saying every town in British Columbia uh, needs a 300-bed hospital, mm. but are there conversations we can be having around intelligent health hubs around BC so people can get closer to the support right. and the health care they need, as an example?
0: Well, we could chat for hours. Yeah. I'd love to keep chatting for hours, um, but I want to be conscious of time. Uh, so what's like the one thing you really want people to take away from, from this conversation, yeah, great. I mean, I guess there's a couple of things. Selfishly, I want
1: to tell people about why the heck I'm running uh, to <laughs> lead this party. And maybe the important thing to tell people is, look, I acknowledge the BC Liberal brand. If you're, Especially if you're a younger person, you're watching from the outside looking in, there's brand problems with this party. But this is also the party that brought in the revenue neutral carbon tax in 2008. It was the first political party in North America, maybe the world, to institute a carbon tax, revenue neutral carbon tax. That was climate leadership years before any, anyone else was doing it. So I do look at this party and I'm proud of what they've done. But now to where we began the conversation around, in BC you can only vote for the, the, the environment, the people or, or the business community, the economy. I'm here to say we can become Canada's first fiscally responsible, socially conscious, environmentally conscious party. Because that's what I want. That's where I want to park my vote. So that's what I'm here to do. And uh, being in conversation with, uh, can I call you young people? Yeah, <laughs> I would hope <laughs> so. Is a big part yeah. of it. No, I mean we need to bring in more young people, more diverse voices. That's how we. That's how we renew and reinvigorate our political conversation in BC. So um, I want people to know that's why I'm in this race and why I'm excited to be here. And uh, please engage in the political process. I think people think by getting involved in the in this leadership race that they're voting BC Liberal. They're not they're actually remember who who is in opposition in government is also as important as who's in power Mm -hmm. that's how you have functioning healthy democracy so um if you're a keen political observer get involved in this race no matter your political stripe have a say in who the next leader of this party will be
0: thank you so much Val. where where can uh where can people find you
1: yeah that's great you can go to vallitwin.ca and uh Click, uh, you know, get involved. We've, we've got lots of places on the team to do some work, but uh, we're traveling the province. We're having a great time and it's awesome chatting with you guys today. So thank you. Thanks so much, Beth
2: Thank you yeah. so much as well.
1: Great.